honored to be here tonight and what a beautiful beautiful spirit and for your pastor to call a last minute service such as this and this crowd show up speaks volumes volumes for your hunger your desire and your respect for the set man of this house knowing that he he has heard from God and it was just a few days ago before he called before he texted I believe it was Wednesday night that he texted just a couple of three days before that I knew I'd be standing in this pulpit tonight I um, I want to take a moment and I want to just give honor to the extremely high caliber leadership that you have in the man of God and the woman of God that God has has given you and they're they're four beautiful I can't really call them kids but they're their kids I I tell you I I don't know I don't know any any two people that are more hungry more pure more sincere seeking not not only you know it's one thing to pastor a church but their hunger really starts with right here just i just want to be close to you and the fasting and the separation the prayer and the study uh, obviously pastor harpole is extremely extremely studious and loves to deep dive in the scripture and you are the you are the benefactors of that you know he's not he's not throwing you a few crumbs out there it's a fresh word it's fresh baked bread every time he comes to this podium whether he's preaching or not I thought, well, just a few minutes ago, I thought, well, my Lord, let him preach. My God. Amazing. And, of course, Sister Harpole, I have to give her credit for the excellence around here. It's got her fingerprints and and her fashion sense and her design sense all over it. And I, I love these people very much. It's it's been the greatest blessing for me to be able to work with your pastor on our North American Missions Committee. Not just because of that, but because of the time that we get to spend in close conversation and sharing the word and vision and burden and passion for all things kingdom. These are kingdom-minded people and so I honored them tonight and and I honored their four uh, kids this this family is absolutely 
first-class apostolic. Amen. I have friends in here tonight, and if I start mentioning them, I'll I'll get in a mess. But I do want to say how glad I am to see Brother McLeod and his wife. They're somewhere in here. I saw them a minute ago, but there they are right there. And um, I honor them very much, love them very much. We are We are standing at a very, very critical hour in the church. The church... When I say the church, I'm speaking beyond the walls. And I'm speaking beyond the city of Terre Haute. I'm talking about the church. The Lord is doing his best to try to stir up his people. He's trying, he's trying to get us to awaken. Though everything seems, as you, you look around the country, you look around the world, same thing seems to be calming down a little bit. Other than rogue balloons and trains derailing and things of that nature. But by and large, it's fairly calm. We're not in the middle of a pandemic. But the enemy is not raging any less than he was two years ago or three years ago. Because this is all pushing towards something. It's a culmination of a kingdom that is trying to rise And I thank God that we know the Word of God tells us that the people of God will triumph over evil and that there is no kingdom that is higher than the kingdom of God. But the church simply has to be woken. We've got to awaken. We we need to be shaken. And a a few days ago, the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And he said, I, I want you to talk to my people about the missing message of the church. And I said, Lord, I, I, I don't know what that is. And the Lord said, the missing message of the church is repentance. We need to go back to the basics because our praise is great, but praise is not repentance. And our worship is great, but worship is not repentance. And our music is great, but our music is not repentance. And our preaching is great. And even our prayer is great, but our prayer and our preaching is not repentance. Repentance was the first message of the New Testament. When the scraggly prophet in sackcloth came out of the wilderness crying, the first words out of his mouth was, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I feel I feel that kind of moment building. I feel like literally the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I I feel like the coming of the Lord is at hand. And when Jesus came out of the wilderness, 
the first words out of his mouth were, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the first word out of his mouth, when they asked him, What shall we do? He said, Repent. Now, a lot of times we, we are repenting of things that we feel like we have done wrong. But I think it may be time to repent of the things that we have not done right. The Lord speaks, he's trying to pull and we, we're too busy. We avoid it, we don't respond. The Lord's trying to send us over here, but we're not sensitive enough to feel it. We don't hear his voice. I want to repent of that tonight. If we can't hear his voice, then what are we doing? God needs a church in this moment in time that will be mobilized as he's the great puppeteer to move people here and there and pray this and pray that and speak that and be available and be in this moment and be on time, be faithful, be loyal. What about the times that the Lord moved on you to give something, but you didn't, but it's all right. We can go home and we've got, we've got a bank account and we'll give it maybe later or something like that. But the Lord wanted it right then. Because the Lord is trying to call his people back to this place of intimacy and sincerity at a level where we don't even hear the voices of this world. We're not even concerned about what's going on in the realm of evil. But all we hear is the shepherd's voice speaking to his people, saying, come unto me. Sit in my feet. Hear my voice. Tune your ears to me. Praise God. This is a moment in time that is so critical. The Lord is restoring fivefold ministry to the church. If we've ever needed a rise of apostles, we need them now. You know, the term apostolic comes from the word apostle, and yet some of the so-called apostolics don't believe in apostles, and yet you cannot have an apostolic church without apostles. Got to have apostles. Say, why do, you, why do you tell that? Because it's all coming together at one time. The Lord needs the church to be more pure than it's ever been because he's coming back for a bride without spot. He's coming back for a bride without blemish. And simultaneously, he is restoring the final offices of the fivefold ministry because you cannot have an effective functioning apostolic church without proper government. If the government of the kingdom is not set in order, how in the world are we supposed to have the true spiritual authority that we're supposed to have? So the Bible tells us in this hour, they that do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall 
do exploits. That happens with the restoration of ministry, spiritual authority, apostolic authority, us taking dominion, and it begins with repentance. There has never been a world-shaking revival in the history of mankind without repentance first. True repentance. And so before you're seated tonight, I'd like to leave a few, a few verses of Scripture out of, out of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men and holiness. I want you to notice that holiness comes second. It's not less important, but I think it's a matter of priority with God that there is no holiness unless we first learn to follow peace with all men. Without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, profane person as he saw, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Two verses, verses 14 and 15 in the Living Bible. Try to stay out of all quarrels and seek to live a clean and holy life. For one who is not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. Would you pray with me right now? Would you make contact with a neighbor? Would you pray with me right now, Father? In your sweet name. Let godly sorrow that worketh repentance sit in this building right now, Father. (laughs) God, we need you. We beseech you here tonight. I'm asking you, Lord, to examine us. I'm asking you to give us the wisdom and the discernment to examine ourselves, the courage to face our failures, the boldness to dig up any root of bitterness that may be found in our spirit. Don't let us be cantankerous and acidic in this hour. But I pray, Lord God, that you would let the holiness of God set upon this tabernacle tonight. In Jesus' name, would you just lift your hands one more time? Just lift your hands. Just lift your hands. Just lift your hands and tell the Lord, I'm yours, God. I surrender. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I love you, Lord. I praise you. Praise God. You may be seated. The story of Esau is... Is one of the greatest tragedies in scripture, in my opinion. And it happens in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. 
the audacity of overlooking the value of the birthright that was given to him as being the oldest and selling it for one morsel of meat because he was worn out, burnt out, exhausted, and frustrated. Not realizing the price that would be paid and the implications, the ramifications that it meant for his future. And it was so devastating that the book of Hebrews, thousands of years later, mentions it as a reminder to any believer, born-again believer, to be careful not to take what has been given to you for granted. And so the Bible said, you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing. The decision to forfeit the birthright was years before the moment when it should have been fulfilled. And so in selling it years later, not even realizing that when afterward he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Literally means he was disqualified. He was set aside. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Immediately after Esau was foiled in his desire, he resolved to murder Jacob. The reaction many times of an unrepentant spirit is a murderous spirit. It's contagious. It seeks to destroy and devour its surroundings. It is the result of shame. The Bible said that he shed tears, but not for his sin. His tears were for his suffering. He shed tears for the suffering of the penalty of sin and not to rectify the sin. His tears were tears of vain regret and remorse and not tears of of true repentance. And how often is it that we find ourselves in a place of disappointment and we realize what we have truly lost And instead of trying to get back in good graces with God, we're just trying to recapture what we lost. Beforehand, he might have had the blessing without tears, but afterwards, now, no matter how many tears he shed, he was rejected. And for some reason, that doesn't seem right to me. But that's the way it happened. And I believe it happened that way because God saw the condition of Esau's heart that even through his tears, his heart was still the same. And so he forfeited his blessing and he forfeited his future and 
he forfeited his integrity and he forfeited his relationship with God. And because of that, the Bible calls him a fornicator. No, Esau was not repenting of his sin. He was repenting of his loss. He wasn't trying to change himself. And may I say tonight that tears are not the proof of true repentance. Change is the proof of true repentance. Words and apologies are not, they're not the proof of repentance. Guilt is not the proof of repentance. Feeling bad about our mistakes and our shortcomings, that, that's not repentance. Being sad about it is not repentance. The only real proof of repentance is change. And so the repentant heart is rent, it's broken. It feels the conviction of God that, that there has been a breach in the relationship with this divine God that we serve. Holiness has been broken. The covenant has been broken. And so the heart has to be rended. We, we, are, we are so good at being Pentecostals. We are so good at it. And, and, and this is not sarcasm. Please just allow me to just get down Get down where we live for just a moment. We're so good. We look so great. We, we've got it all together. We know when to show up. We know how to pray. We know how to sing and worship and lift up the name of Jesus. And, and we are a great church, but when it comes to repentance, it's easier to just kind of scoot right over that with a simple apology Or a blanket statement that sounds like this, God, forgive me for everything that I've done. And our repentance has become so ambiguous that we have these unrepentant stains in our life that become wounds that are bleeding profusely into our daily walk with God. And we don't even realize that we have crippled ourselves. Because we are limping through life without truly being able to trust God because there is a brokenness of the covenant. Verse 15 talks about a root of bitterness, not a, not a bitter root that may still produce some sweet fruit every now and then. Not a bitter root that allows you to serve faithfully and be in avid part of the church and be a leader in the house of God, not that kind of bitter root, but a root whose very essence is bitterness. Esau was bitter because of what he, what he lost. Now, you can't simply alter the nature of the root if it's bitter. The only way to get rid of it is to dig it up. Now, I'm going to tell you why we, some of us still struggle with the same things that we struggled with a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's because we said, I'm sorry, but we never changed. 
And so the same issue keeps coming back up, coming back up, coming back up. The word, the word that Hebrews was given to describe Esau, that word fornicator was not, was not there just because there was no other better words to use, but, but it is literally a violation of intimacy with God. It is considered fornication in the mind of God. Now I'm going to tell you in this moment in time, in case you haven't paid attention to anything going on around the world, we are living in perilous times. But we're not dismayed by that. These are just indicators to us that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now what I read about the church is that the church is going to experience this culmination. It's going to be a moment of victory. We are going to triumph over evil. There is going to be unprecedented revival. There is going to be global harvest. There is going to return to the church the miracles and signs and wonders that we have been preaching about for generations. Not on a 10% or 15% or 20% ratio that people get healed, not, not just for overseas, but I believe there's coming a sweeping wave of God's power through the earth. And cancers are going to be healed and tumors are going to be disappeared. Blind eyes are going to be open. I believe that with everything in me because the prophets prophesied about it. But what may, you may not realize is what's going to bring it to pass is when the church says, God, I just remembered I don't deserve to be here. I just remembered where you brought me from. And I remembered all the things that you have purged from my life. And I just can't go about my day just thanking you for stuff and not doing inventory in my own spirit to get on my face before you and say, God, this thing in my life, I want you to know I'm not only sorry, but I'm ready to change. Well, I'm going to give you a moment to praise him. Well, I'm going to give you a moment to praise him right now. Now, he gets specific about this root of bitterness. He said, if it springs up, many will be defiled. I don't know how many times that I've been pastoring for 21 years, and I don't know how many times that I've, I've seen somebody get crossways in their spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. Holy Ghost-filled people that turn mean and cantankerous, I hear some of you laughing. It happens. Holy Ghost, Jesus' name, baptized people that get to sit in this atmosphere week after week after week that become acidic and accusatory. And that root begins to spring up. They can't be satisfied being acidic by themselves. They have to poison other people because that's what a bitter root does. It, it, many are defiled.
I often think Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But how many people have I ever seen rise up and try to destroy the church? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But somehow one saint or two saints can get crossways about something. And defiling everybody around them because a bitter root is springing up. They'll defile the whole congregation if they can. They will not be satisfied going through their misery alone. Why does it happen? Because there's something in their life they haven't repented of. It's an indicator of something beneath the surface that somehow has begun to boil over in their spirit I can't tell you what causes it all the time. I think it comes from a multiplicity of things. But I'm going to tell you, I've been in the kingdom of God long enough to get offended at somebody and be lost because somebody hurt my feelings. And I've been in the church long enough to, to, to allow some kind of something to run through my life and catch my eye so that the enemy would draw me away and entice me of my own lust and me fall into a sin. Not on this, not on your life. I'm going to live a life of repentance. And if there's anything hidden in my life, I'm going to get honest with God tonight. I'm going to get honest with God tonight, and I'm going to say, God, I'm not going to hide it tonight. I'm not going to sweep it under the rug tonight. I'm not going to act like it's not there tonight. Tonight, you and I are going to have a conversation together, and I'm going to make a vow to you that I'm ready to change my ways. He despised his birthright. Despised it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Let's just say this is your birthright. Imagine having all this and then turning around and despising it, walking away from it. Because of that, therefore, he was despised and rejected when he wished to have the blessing that he lost. Jesus talks very pointedly to the multitude and the disciples in Luke chapter 13. Verse 1, there were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. There were some people that were killed and their blood was mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. That's kind of what we do, isn't it? We look at bad things that have happened to people, and they say, oh, yeah, they're bad sinners. He said, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that They were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. He said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. That scares me to death because what that tells me is, is that God will let all of us be lost. He'll let us go, even though it's not his will that any should perish. 
but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is the key. Being a part of New Life Fellowship does not guarantee you a ticket to heaven. Being a part of the leadership, and I'm not trying to be unkind here, but being a part of the leadership here does not guarantee you. Being a preacher of the gospel does not guarantee you a ticket to heaven. I've got to get on my face before God uh, just like everybody else does in the kingdom of God because repentance is for everybody. It's for everybody, and it's a gift. It's God's gift to you to allow you to flush your spirit of everything that is unclean. Then in verse 6 of the same chapter, he tells a parable about the barren fig tree. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser, that's the dresser right there. That man of God sitting right there is the dresser of this vineyard. The Lord said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why encumbereth it the ground? And he answering, the dresser answered, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down the dresser said allow me to dig allow me to break up the ground allow me to freshen the spiritual culture a little bit more in their life just let me have another conversation with them let me see if I can get them to pray with me let me see if I can preach them another sermon let me see if I can get them to join the fast don't give up on them God I know they're part of the orchard, and I know there's no fruit in their life. But, Lord, you put me as the dresser of the vineyard, and I'm standing as a mediator here. And I'm asking you, Lord, give me one more year to work on them. I'm going to tell you, God loves you, and that man loves you, and that woman loves you, but he won't let you stay here forever and be fruitless. This, it's the will of God that you bear fruit in the kingdom of God. Repentant people are fruit-bearing people. Sanctified people are fruit-bearing people. Soul-loving people are fruit-bearing people. And he said, if I can't get it after that, then, then cut it down. He asked, why encumbereth it the ground? That word encumbereth means to be idle. Why are they idle? It means to be useless. Why are they useless? They're taking up room where somebody else could sit, could lead, could serve me that's out there on the streets today. Now, if you want to get rid of the spider webs in your life, you can reach up with your hand and swipe the spider webs out of your life. But sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with the spider itself. You're going to have to go to the source of what's causing all the confusion in your life.
You're going to have to go to the source to find out what all the trouble is all about. Where is it coming from? I'm going to tell you, I know my help is in the Lord. You need an altar in your life more today than you've ever needed it before. And there's people in this building that God wants to raise to mobilize you into the fields of harvest. Because when God gets done restoring his church, there is coming a sweeping power and moving of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody help me right now. I've come to tell you we are a mighty church and we are a powerful church and we are destined for dominion and victory and power. We are the church triumphant, but God is calling his church back to an altar repentance to get ready for a last day harvest. Well, I wish somebody would praise him right now. Oh, come on, take a moment and praise him. Here comes John, the one that Jesus said, among those born among women, there is not a greater than John. I know the rest of that, but just let me stop on that for right here. The prophet John the Baptist comes out and there's some religious people that come to his baptism. Pharisees. He turns and he looks to them and he said, who, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, nobody has. But I'm fixing to issue you a warning. He said, the axe is laid to the root. In other words, let's put it in context for tonight. There's coming a change. There's a shift in the atmosphere. There's a stirring in the atmosphere. The prophetic voice is rising in this hour. And God is doing his best to speak to his people. To tell you that there's something on the horizon that we haven't seen yet. And he's trying to get his church stirred up. He's trying to get us moving in the right direction and functioning the way that we need. He needs to get rid of the dysfunction in the body of Christ. Can I tell you something? That man right there is not a dictator. He is a shepherd. That right there, that voice right there, it's not to run your life. It is to protect your life. There is no more important voice in my life than my shepherd. My bishop is not here tonight. He's 82 years old, and he's driving 10 hours from one revival to another. Him and and the first lady, he has been my bishop since I was 15 or 16 years old. He knows I'm in this building tonight. I texted him when I walked in this building tonight. I said, I'm here in Terre Haute. I covet your prayers. Bishop, I need you to pray for me. That's not just here. That's every day. I talk to him nearly every day because that voice in my life— I've got to be under authority so I can have authority. And I need that man of God to look at me at times and say, you need to find an ultra-repentant son. You need to fall on your knees and get right with God, son. I need a bishop in my life that's not a dictator. That's a man of God that God sent to save you. Repentance. We need God to, we need God to churn us over. We 
need him to get up in all of our knotted up, tied up emotions. We need him to go through all of that agitation and frustration that boils on the inside of us from time to time. Get to the root of the matter. John looked at them and he said, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. It's a strange statement. But that word meat means having the weight of another thing or like value worth equally as much or congruous. In other words, fruit and repentance are proportional. If you're looking to bear fruit, your, your repentance has to be of equal value to the fruit that God has called you to produce. And so he told them, Bring forth there, therefore, fruits, meat of equal value. Tonight, we're going to bring repentance and fruit together of equal value. Your level of repentance is connected to the quality of the, quality of the fruit you bear. Esau's repentance was not equal to the weight of his blessing. Therefore, he could not regain the blessing because his repentance was insincere. Tears, but no change. Possibly an apology, but no change. The Bible uses that term weight in the Old Testament where the finger of God comes to the king of Babylon. And he tells Belteshazzar, thy kingdom has been weighed in the balances and found wanting. I wonder if the eyes of the Lord were to go through this place tonight. And he were to examine all, every cell, every spiritual cell of our mind, our will and emotions. I wonder what he would find hiding in our closets that we hide behind our Pentecostal facades and veils. Please, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just asking you to let this man of God preach to you tonight. I am preaching to a powerful church. I am preaching to an amazing church. I am preaching to a revival church. But the problem is that man of God and that woman of God right there have been separating themselves with fasting and prayer for so long and calling out to heaven that heaven is responding and he is saying I want to answer that prayer that he's praying but I can't do it until I can get the church on its face and until I can get some things out of their lives that they've been holding on to come on am I preaching to anybody here tonight My God, have mercy. It's good to keep God's law. You must. But in our court systems today, many break the law, yet they escape punishment on a technicality. The evidence was not admissible. They got a high-powered attorney, and they got him off on a technicality. And a murderer can run the streets 
because that's the way our court system works. But the problem is, someday it's going to catch up to them. And so maybe you've been escaping punishment on a technicality tonight because of grace. But I'm here to caution you, be careful, because sooner or later, we are going to meet something greater than God's law, and that's God's justice. We have to get past merely keeping the word of God and move into the higher dimension of living, not just by keeping the law, but living in the spirit of the law. I was reading recently I found a story that I came across that was very intriguing to me. And the story said that that prior to 1818, pregnant women delivering babies were dying in the hospitals at the rate of one in six to something called childbed fever. No one could figure out why nor did they seem to care until a Hungarian doctor figured it out. What he discovered was that the doctors were doing autopsies in the mornings and visiting their delivering mothers in the afternoon and evening, delivering their babies. The connection between the death of the autopsies And the delivering of the babies with these mothers was that the doctors were not thoroughly washing their hands after making contact with the dead. And they were carrying death to the living, infecting them with an incurable fever. His solution was simple. As he stood before a room of doctors with tears streaming down his cheeks, simply saying to them, I beg you, wash, wash, wash your hands. As they looked at him in stunned stares, he lifted his voice a little higher and said it with more fervency, wash, wash. Wash, please wash your hands. But to his dismay, they mocked him. They would not listen, and they continued working with the living after working with the dead, and women kept dying. And that's what James meant when he said, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. I'm in the word, folks. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Because every day we brush with death and decay all day long. And then we attempt to walk into heavenly places 
and produce a new life and new anointing and new dimensions of revival. And many are walking into the house of God week after week with contact bacteria from the dead things that we touch every single day and the things that our eyes behold, the things that our ears hear and the conversations that we, that we participate in and the altars that we neglect tonight. So I'm asking you, would you please wash, wash, wash your hands tonight. Would you take some moment, some time around that pure, heavenly water that comes from heaven and say, God, I need you to wash me of my defilement. In Matthew chapter 15, as I hasten on, Jesus said, are you also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth into in at the mouth goeth into the belly and cast out is cast out into the draught. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth with the heart, and they defile the man. Please don't let things that are unclean come out of your mouth. Because it is an evidence of what is in your heart. For out of the mouth, the heart, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness and blasphemies. We're not brave enough nor stupid enough to pull the trigger and end a life, but we assassinate people's character every single day of our lives and we use the same tongue to come to the house of God and speak in that heavenly language. Uh, somehow or another, the God, the God has get his, got to get his people back to the place of purity like we have never been before in our lifetime. I'm not trying to harm you tonight. I'm trying to help you tonight and I'm asking you tonight if you will just wash your hands the psalmist said who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. The most prominent examples of abstinence in the Bible is first of all, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a time of holy convocation. It was a time of separation. It was a time that belonged only to them and God. No serve a work. Don't break a sweat. This is a time of rest. It's a time of communion. The Sabbath was a sacred time of abstinence with God. Then there were the food laws that were given in Leviticus chapter 19. Then we find in number six, the Nazarite vow that is spoken of. And then, of course, the repetitive mentions of fasting in the Bible. These things become distinguishing characteristics of Israelites in foreign cultures. For the Nazarite, he was given specifically four things that he must keep as sacred between him and the Lord. The first one was a pure, unadulterated consecration. We don't talk about that word much anymore, but God's looking for consecrated people. The second one is devotion. The third one is separation. 
Two additional forms of the Nazarite are found. One was based on a vow by the individual for a specific period of time and the other was a lifelong devotion and it is that lifelong devotion that I believe that the New Testament church is called to come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing the Nazarites outward signs the growth of the hair the abstention from wine and other alcoholic drinks and the avoidance of contact with death with the dead are Ill- illustrative of devotion to God the Lord is calling some people back to that Nazarite separation that part of us that says I don't want anything this world has to offer. Now, I'm sorry if this is old-timey preaching. I know this man. I know how he preaches. But I'm going to tell you right now, I I, I am not going to miss heaven by an inch. I'm just not going to miss it by an inch. There is nothing in this world that can offer me. There's nothing that I want. There's nothing that I desire. The only thing that I desire is to please my maker. I want him to be happy when he looks at me. I want him to see the purity of Christ on the inside of me. I need my lips to be purged. I need him to take a live coal from off of the altar and let the angel of God touch my lips. I need to say, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I need God to purge my spirit tonight. Something is going to happen in this building tonight. There is such... There is such a desire in this place. Can I just say this to you for a moment? I don't think in our times we have yet seen what a truly, truly apostolic church can produce. Look at this building tonight. Look at that building over there. I I don't know what it seats, but we were coming over and Josh made mention of it. I sat there at the red light and I said, thank you, Jesus, for that building. I said it out loud. And I turned to him and I said, boy, I hope he's not building too small. I wasn't kidding. Because I'm telling you, it's not only possible. It's going to happen. God is going to find himself some people somewhere that are going to say, I don't care about anything else. Woo, I feel it right now. I, I, I don't know, I don't know anything about what's going on in Asbury University. I don't know anything about, I'm not here to promote that or whatever, but I do know that God's trying to stir somebody up. I do. Woe to us if he has to look past his own church to do and accomplish what he's really trying to accomplish. No, I think it can start right here in Terre Haute. My God, have mercy. I think it can start right here at New Life Fellowship. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to let heaven know that you believe what I just said.
Now we're not heading for a shouting service. But this is the response that's got to be in you to get you an altar, an altar repentance uh, and get God to clean junk out of you. You're a great people, but we can do better than this. Listen to me. Listen to me because I appreciate this, but I got to get everybody tonight. I, I'm, not going, I'm not going for a majority. I'm, I'm going for every person in this building tonight. You showed up because a man of God called a holy convocation in this building. I'm begging you, please don't leave this building tonight without washing your hands clean. We've been talking about Azusa Street since 1906. We've been talking about Topeka, Kansas. We've been talking about the Welsh Revival and praying John Hyde. Now we're talking about Asbury University, and that's great. But I wonder if, we, if we're here another 100 years, which I don't believe we will be, will anybody remember New Life Fellowship? I wonder 50 years from now, what will they be saying about New Life Fellowship? Because what they could say is on a night in February, we had a meeting with heaven. And we made, God have mercy, we made up in our mind that we're not going to accept anything less than a one God last day Holy Ghost revival. Now, we're almost ready. We're almost ready. I learned a few minutes ago there's quite a number of people in this building that are fasting. Some of you are on multiple days, and that's fine. I'm only going to tell you what the Lord told me to say to you tonight. Now, I would ask you real quick just to put Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22 up there. Stay with me. This is it. I'm sorry, I didn't give them this. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. That's my bad. Matthew 18. There it is. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, not until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, he was not telling them to forgive 490 times a day. If you get offended 490 times a day, you might better look in the mirror. But 70 And seven are numbers of wholeness, numbers of completion. They're numbers of perfection. 
And so I want you to notice the word until. The word until is the key word there. What Jesus was saying was, you're going to have to forgive your brother until you completely forgive him. You're going to have to forgive your brother until you are whole. Now, forgiveness and repentance are conjoined twins. What's good for one is good for the other. So, Lord, how often shall we repent when our brother or we offend our brother? Till seven times? No. You're going to have to repent until you've completely repented, until you are whole. Until you forgave that person that hurt you when you were seven, that raped you when you were 13, until you let it go and quit letting it affect your mind, until you can pray the blessings of God upon them, until you quit letting dead people hold you captive with your wounded spirit. Because as holy and as godly as we are, we're still men and women of flesh. And we love to hold our grudges. And we love to rejoice when that person that did us wrong finally gets what's coming to them. But you can't make it to heaven that way. And we cannot have revival that way. What we need more than anything in the body of Christ right now is unity. Somewhere or another, we've got to love our brother whether we agree with him or not. And we've got to forgive our sister whether we like him or not. Come on, new life. I want you to stand to your feet. So this is what the Lord said to me. He said, if I could get 70 people to fast for seven days. I would bring a spirit of true repentance to this church. And true forgiveness. And you know what? If he does it here, because judgment, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. It's going to flow like a river. We need healing in our land. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. Then what I hear from heaven, and I would heal their land. America needs a healing, Terre Haute. Come on, the city needs a healing. Is anybody hears this preacher here tonight? Put your hands together. Uh, put your hands down. Put your hands down. Is there 70 people in here? I know some of you are already on a fast. If you're on the third day of a fast and you're going to extend it to seven days, if I can get 70 people to fast seven days, would you lift your hand? There ought to be more than that. There ought to be more than that. See, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Now, that's more than 70, but there still ought to be more than that. Raise your hand real high if you're going to fast seven days. I'll let him determine when the time has come. Now, here's what I want you to do. I've come here tonight on divine assignment. I didn't come to preach you a sermon. 
I came because God is reaching into the heart of this church. And he's trying to clean out every last contaminant. From the back to the front to the side to the side from the platform to the media booth and everywhere in between. And I'm asking you, if you would repent tonight. A repentance that says tonight I need a change and I'm willing to change. I want you to flood the front of this building. And I want you to do it quickly, please. Don't, don't hesitate. I want you to get in as close as you can. Now, you're probably not going to be able to kneel. You're probably not going to be able to kneel. That is the proper posture. But as they're coming, come on, come in quickly. Come in quickly all the way down the aisles. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift your voice right now. And I don't want you to worry about what your neighbor is saying on the other side of you. But I want you to get honest with God. And some of you are going to overhear some things that you maybe shouldn't overhear. But don't you dare take that and use it against them. Because some of you might need to repent of adultery. And some might need to repent of dishonesty and being a pathological liar. And and being deceptive and being unkind and being mean-spirited. Mistreating your spouse and abusing your children. Or being disrespectful to parents. Or or avoiding, avoiding the authority, the spiritual authority that God has put over you. But we all need to repent of the times that we could have prayed but we didn't pray. And we should have obeyed. God but we didn't he asked us to give but we held it with a clenched fist would you lift your voice right now because there is about to come a purging through this building tonight there's about to become a moving in this building in this place tonight would you lift your voice in the name of Jesus oh God your eyes are upon new life fellowship here in Terre Haute Indiana God there is a hunger in the leadership of this church. Uh, There's a hunger in the heart of this church. Uh, There's a revival in the student ministry and the hyphen ministry of this church. God, there's a new generation that is bringing the spirit of revival to this church. But tonight, we don't want to just apologize. We want to change. Come on, lift your voice. Don't speak in tongues yet. I want you to tell him, I want you to tell him, God, the grudge I've been holding, Lord, I forgive him. The things I've been holding on to, I forgive him. I'm praying in English right now, and I'm crying out to God. I'm getting honest with you right now. Oh, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you move upon your people. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. I know some of it's personal, and you don't want to just blurt things out, but surely there's a cry that says, Oh, God, my heart is in anguish tonight. My spirit is broken before you. I cannot hold on to this anymore. I cannot keep this habit. I cannot say those things anymore. I can't let my eyes see those things anymore. I can't hang out with those people anymore. I can't allow the spirit of rebellion to to be a hold of me another day. Come on, church. Come on, church. I want the musicians to just go ahead and pray. I'll let you know if we need you. 
Come on, your response to this is what determines what God's about to do next. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord God, your righteousness must prevail. I pray, oh Lord, that you would burn. You're a consuming fire. I pray that you would burn the chaff and the unclean things out of our spirit. In the name of Jesus, God, burn the spiritual cancer out of us, the wounded spirit. In the name of Jesus, Father, we need you here tonight to hear the cry of your people. In the name of Jesus, when you've gone through your inventory and your list and you feel like that you've been honest with God, I want you to let that Holy Spirit begin to pray through you and let that river begin to flow now. Let the Holy Ghost begin to flow up out of you. The God that we serve is going to cleanse. He's going to wash. He's going to purge some things out of the spirit and the heart of people. In the name of Jesus, you don't even have to be sinful to be at odds with God. You just have to have a carnal mind. God, forgive me of my carnality. Yes. Yes, come on. Yes, come on. Yes, yes, yes. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, would you wash us with your blood? Would you purge us, Lord God, with the purity of the Holy Spirit of God in this place? In Jesus' name, let your anointing, God, that destroys every yoke, let it come down and break break the back of the limitations that are on our spirit. In the name of Jesus, God, we're good at shouting, but we're not always good at repenting. We're good. We're good at rejoicing, but we're not always good at letting our joy be turned to sorrow so that we can get our heart right with God forgive us Lord of all gossip forgive us oh Lord of character assassination forgive us oh Lord for being a sower of discord Lord in the name of Jesus come on new life come on new life Hallelujah. 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 
Come on, I want you to go ahead and pray in the Spirit right now because some of you have already reached that point where God has seen your heart. There's a purity moment here right now. And I know some of you are fasting. You may be a little weak, but I need some of you that are spiritual to play the role of mediator and intercessor right now because God is not reaching for the majority. He's reaching for everybody here tonight. Oh, God, help us, oh, Lord. Wash us, oh, Lord. Make us white as snow. Come on, heaven is watching right now. I'm asking you to take it beyond the walls of this church. Would you repent of the sins of your city? Would you repent of the sins of this nation? Would you repent of the sins of this region? How in the world do I do that? You play the role of mediator. Come on. We need God to break something, and iniquity is abounding right now. We need grace to much more abound in the name of Jesus, oh God. Hear the cry going up in this tabernacle here tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, please don't be a spectator. Please just close your eyes and focus on the Lord right now in this place. Hallelujah. 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 That's it. Oh, that's it. That's it. Come on. I feel that Holy Ghost River beginning to surge right now. I feel the depth of the Spirit of God beginning to move right now. I wish somebody, that's it. I wish somebody would obey God right now, the Holy Ghost. Say right here, right now, God. I'm saying, God. Here am I, send me, send me tonight. Jesus in your name, Father, now. Jesus in your name, Father, now. Shola boho rebe teke amara bakanda boho rebe se teke amayata la boho rebe ke andala mahaya. Ele be amaya teke amore be siki ele be amore be seke amaya tayanda la moho rebe kea. I praise you. 
I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. Oh, Father, oh, Father, oh, Father. Hallelujah. Do you feel like lifting your hands right now? And do you feel like just letting the Lord take that weight of guilt off of you and that condemnation and that shame? Do you feel like just worshiping him right now in the name of Jesus and letting God lift all your heavy loads? Come on, you, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, oh God, in Jesus' name. Jesus, in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name, Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Just to be honest, I can't answer this for you. How many, how many of you feel like you truly repented tonight? Raise your hand. You feel like you truly repented. How many of you repented, and I see people praying all in the back and wiping tears in the back and all. How, how many of you repented of something specific like you knew, I, I've, I've, got to, I've got to get this in order? The scripture said, the Lord said, I'll do nothing except I reveal it to my prophets first. You look in the Old Testament, and you will see God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to warn Israel, you're fixing to lose your land. You violated my Sabbaths. You're going to get carried away. They're going to destroy my house. I'm going to destroy my own house. But they would not hear. A hundred prophecies about the coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ. One hundred prophecies. And when Jesus came, he stood there looking eyeball to eyeball with them. And they were blind as could be. A thousand prophecies are given in the scripture about the second coming of the Lord. And woe be unto us if we cannot tell the temperature, if we cannot sense the atmosphere. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of people in the body of Christ that are going to miss 
this wave of revival that's coming. Boy, I feel it right now. I don't know anybody more consecrated than that pastor right there. And God is paying attention to it. And I'm just imploring you. Whatever he says, you've got to go with it. Whatever he says, you've got to be willing to pay the price. And I'm telling you right now, how many of you need a healing in your body? Just raise your hand. How many of you need a healing in your body? Now, I don't feel to pray tonight for that. But what I do feel to tell you is that I believe that fasting, this fasting that's taking place right now and that's about to take place, I believe it is going to release healing through the body of Christ in this building. I believe that diseases are going to be healed because you're getting your temple in order and you're getting your temple in subjection and you are getting, you are breaking it down. You are cleansing, you are cleansing the temple. How many of you believe what I'm saying? I believe that something is going to be released. It's not a magic potion. It is God saying, I have heard your cry and I have seen your sacrifice and I will respond to your repentance. That's really what fasting is. It is breaking down the will and the spirit and the mindset and being truly repentant before God. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people in this building, but I'm not sure that before y'all get in the next building, that they might be lined out the hallways. That you might have to open some side doors somewhere. That some of you might have to sit in some side rooms and hear the ambient sound going on in the sanctuary. Because there's people in this city that need what you've got in this building. And I'm telling you right now, God is about to do something in New Life Fellowship that's going to move out into this city like an explosion of Holy Ghost revival. God's word will stand sure. Do you believe that? I'm going to ask you to pray one more prayer with me. Would you do that? It's two minutes too late. Then I'm going to ask your pastor to come. I'm going to ask us just, just for about three or four minutes of fervent prayer. I want you to let the Lord take your eyes and take your spirit and fly you across the world and let him give you a bird's eye view of the body of Christ. And I want you to pray for a sweeping wave of restoration and healing, physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing, that the Lord would push back the spirit of suicide from the body of Christ. And anxiety attacks from the body of Christ. And the spirit of fear from the body of Christ. And the throwing in the towel and backsliding from the body of Christ. And that he will restore the fivefold ministry. And I want you to speak them apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. That the Lord would be in the restoration of the government of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Because I'm telling you, I feel something in my spirit. We're standing on the precipice of something. And we can't afford to miss it. Would you link up with somebody right now? And would you lift your voice right now for about three or four minutes of fervent prayer? And in your repentance. In its state, would you pray for restoration across the body of Christ? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, oh God, right now. 
that you would take us from nation to nation. Fly us, God, across the world. Give us a bird's eye view of the body of Christ. We need a healing, oh God, in the body of Christ. We need a visitation of healing and signs and wonders in the body of Christ in the name of Jesus. Come on. I'm praying, oh God, that you would raise up apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, Lord God, to walk in their apostolic, prophetic, God-given gifting and office and authority. In the name of Jesus, oh God, we need a restoration in the body of Christ. Come on, just for about two minutes here. In the name of Jesus, I want somebody to push in the Holy Ghost right now. Let every demonic influence be toppled. Oh, God, we command right now the demons of hell to pull its talons out of the mindset of the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, oh, God. That's it. Come on, let's see it. In the name of Jesus, come on. We're about to take it as high as it can go. There's power in your shout. I want you to shout in the atmosphere right now. And I want you to shout the name of Jesus and clap your hands. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord with all of your might. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God, we need a revival. That's it, come on. That's it right there. Come on, I feel heaven responding to that right now. In the name of Jesus, in every nation, in every state, in every district, in every fellowship, every one God, Jesus' name, holiness, separated movement and fellowship, let there be a coming together. Let there be a healing.